You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Howdy, podcast listeners. I'm Trevor Teacher here. And I'm Matt Foster, and together we co-host the Nighthawks Podcast, a movie-centric podcast that covers just about everything. Big films, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The Avengers, Star Wars. The films that aren't as big on budget, but we still love. Found footage 3D, The Big Lebowski. Not to mention films from distant shores. Lone Wolf and Cub, Dearest Sister. Plus we have some great guests like Alamo Drafthouse founder Tim Lee. Episode 7. Dr. Strange writer C. Robert Cargill. Episode 100. Director Stephen DiGennaro. Episode 53, episode 100. Or you can listen to any of the over 120 other episodes we have on deck for you. Instant classics. Find us on all good podcatchers. Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, Spotify, or at our website, nighthawkspodcast.com. Join our cult. Probably not a real cult. It's a real cult. Hooray! Delicious Volume 1, Life Tastes Good, is finally at Amazon United States. What is delicious, you ask? Imagine a land where all your favorite foods live as human girls. Here in charming a la carte, under the floating city of heavenly delight, we meet Ramen, a young cook trying to run a restaurant with her family of pastas as they end up in all sorts of wacky adventures and hijinks as these strong, eccentric characters pursue their dreams and passions. Delicious is a beautifully drawn comedy series, which is now finally available to buy in the United States. Click on the banner on one of us, order today, and join in the fun now, because Delicious Volume 2, Yum Yum Yum, is coming really soon. A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. When the past is always with you, it may as well be present. And if it is present, it will be future as well. Oh, hello there. I was just reading some quotes from William Gibson. That one was from the Neuromancer. You may have heard of that before, when it was called The Matrix. Kind of joking aside, this author, William Gibson, did revolutionize sci-fi many overcredit his creation of cyberpunk which was a whole 80s 90s thing i'm not saying that he did that alone but he gets the crown he is he is the lucky sap that got the word right yeah the the, 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 the genre itself was um i think you could you'd also have to give some nods to uh like richard codry bruce sterling some of those guys um there were other cyberpunk authors but he said um, he is the he William Gibson was the lucky guy that hit on the phrase cyberspace. That's wonderful. And I think it was actually years later that he, like he did not get online as a person until uh, well after the fad. It kind of ironically the uh, the other famous Gibson quote that's about to be really pertinent here in this review 
is he said that uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Hell yeah. Which is like true. Like you travel around the world, you know, you, you arrive in Beijing and you're in the year, you know, in 2028 and you start driving toward Mongolia and you go backwards in time. And it's, it's true of us too. Like there's a, there's a certain lag to everything and the, the very highest end of things, which is what he's often fascinated with, um, stays relevant forever. Like there's a, there's a, um, a refurbisher that will take a vintage Bronco two, take it apart for you, laminate every part in it, replace relevant things with like modern brakes and carbon fiber components and stuff and hand you back a Bronco two that will your your great grandkids will inherit because it's now invulnerable and will never will never decay or rust, you know, can't really be um door dinged or anything like that. As long as you don't wreck it into a pylon, it is immortal. Uh the reason that we all don't have those is because the process costs, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. plus the cost of the Bronco too. Right. And <laughs> and I think that's that's part of what he works with a lot is the interplay of technology and class and technology and distribution and, and how, um, you know, we, we think we're these magnificent masters of technology, but honestly, we just know what we're told. And if you're an ordinary, if you're an ordinary Joe driving a, driving an Uber in 2022, um, you might own a Tesla, you might be paying off a Tesla driving your Uber, but you don't know how it works, you know, from, you know, the difference between a Tesla and a shit, shit line shoe with the, uh, under the hood. Well, absolutely. Let's talk about if William Gibson's prose, which you are a master of, good sir, actually fits in this Amazon TV series, The Peripheral, starring Chloe Grace Moretz and trading out his bear suit for a robot one, Jack Renner as Burton Fisher, Chloe as Flynn Fisher. Well, these two siblings, they're doing the best they can out in the rural town of I Forget and clanton i knew that <laughs> clanton thank you and flynn she's really good at playing uh what's called a sim it's like a vr video game where you control another person i'm so bad explaining vr would one of you like to take the reins for me and explain how her VR game for bucks works? It's almost like a well, let's play. It's it's originally pitched to her as this really immersive kind of fully haptic experience where you feel the things that are happening to you in this, they're calling it a sim, a simulation. And so when you get punched, you feel it. When you get shot, you feel it. When you make love, you feel it. Um, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because their actual technology is not that much advanced over ours. It's just like you have to wear the the big goggles and the gloves and stuff. She's a paid grinder. Like she levels up rich people's characters for them. Right. Like th this is something that calls back to when uh, celebrities would have interns level up their World of Warcraft characters, right? Yeah, and then they get uh, well, and actually Burton is the one with the job, and he farms it out to his kid sister, right? Because she's much better at it. Burton is a real, a real ex elite, uh, or uh, you know, former active duty elite marine, and people want him to level up their their Call of Duty, uh, but not trademarked character for for them, and he's secretly kind of just farming it all off in his little sister, who is as good or better than him at the game. 
and uh, they get a contract to test a new highly sophisticated game that exceeds the level of VR any of them have ever um, experienced before. And uh, Flynn quickly develops the, the suspicion that it is not true VR, that she's operating a essentially a human drone somewhere, that that's a real person in 3D space. And she's actually uh, doing real things and that the, uh, the cool spy mission she just went on has, you know, true lethal consequences. She may have killed real people and extracted real intel from the target computer. Um, I don't want to give too much away about the exact caper, but that proves to be the case. Uh, early on in the series, which is a major departure from the source book where they kind of play that reveal out, um, it's re it's revealed that this is uh, this is happening in uh, the future. That this is this is a, a post-apocalyptic, but also post-human future where they have had an apocalypse and recovered from it spectacularly, and now the few the few survivors live in oligarchical elegance. Uh, and they refer to this event as the jackpot because it had winners and losers, right? Um, and, of course, her brain's crushed by that, and there are odd time travel rules here because her continuum is what the future people call a stub, where the, the, the world uh, avoids paradox by branching the reality off from the moment they contacted her. And so now there is a separate continuity. So if she if she were to find her enemy's parents and kill them in the past, uh, the the version of her enemy she is interacting with would not die. Um, and in fact, one of the people in the game or in the future uh, is uncomfortable with the idea that his family exists in the stub and has them killed himself. You know, which is which is wild <laughs> to think about, like how cold that. And so, so the core question of the book is very existential. It's the idea that, like, if if this timeline is a splinter timeline, what are the ethics involved in its reality? Does it effectively become a simulation of some sort for the people in the prime timeline? What are what are their ethics and their obligations regarding these people in the past that no longer affects them? And is this even all real? And of course, that's. E equally or more torturous for the people in the past who have to sit there and go like, so what, like, are we fake? Are you fake? Are we, are, are, are you a simulation of the future? Are we a simulation of the past? It's, are any of us fake? Yeah, it, it's a real mind bender. And with me to further discuss this, I got the Nighthawks podcast with me, Matt and Trevor. Yes, a, a rare uh, appearance on one of us net from both of us. Now, I would like to hear you go on about this as well, Trevor. What did you think of this huge ensemble and the big ideas? Do they translate well? Or do you feel like this is just a mess, a Westworld Season 2 mess? You know, this series won me over eventually. But it was, I'm, I'm going to have to say, a bit of a slog until about the fifth episode. And I don't know if I were watching this for pleasure if I would have stuck with it to that point. And that's where things kind of turned around for me. But I think this displays a lot of grand ideas. I think it builds an interesting world. I think it plays with some interesting ideas, but I also think it fails really to commit to any of those until the back half of that season. And even <clears throat> the social commentary, the commentary on class and stuff, it's there, but it's not dwelt on. It doesn't feel like 
Um, it, it feels like more of a set piece rather than a theme. And so I, I lost a little bit of that. This was, and I'm maybe I, I'm displaying my ignorance here. I'm not as well read into William Gibson as Matt is. Uh, we did an episode years ago uh, covering Johnny Mnemonic on the Nighthawks podcast. And we had this kind of long conversation about why William Gibson just doesn't seem to translate well to film and television. And he's he's an author that deals in such big and grand ideas. And I think people like the ideas. And when they translate those over, they translate them over to look cool and be cool. But we miss some of the subtext. Now, I think there was an attempt at subtext here. But it just, by the time I hit the end of the series, I'm just like, well, that was a fun, interesting story. I was entertained throughout. The performances were good. The effects were great. The fight choreography was out of this world. But I I didn't feel like I had just read a William Gibson story. I did not feel like uh, this was that deep science fiction. I just think it was confusing and uh, a little convoluted in the plot. And I didn't feel this big, enriched uh, science fiction feel out of it. Um, I same, and I thought this hit the um. This broke the material, in the book up rather oddly. Like there's a major, major, and it looks like maybe, they're setting up to like do it in season two, but like in. In the book, there's this major escalation where, like, they they get in a uh, there's another player in the future, and they're in basically a bidding war for how much they can manipulate the entire world stock market and take over. Like, and in in the end, it ends up almost involving the U.S. presidency and the governorship of Virginia and <laughs> some stuff like that. <laughs> and they and there's this real sense of like, um, and Flynn in the book compares it to the game where you put your your hands on top of each other until someone's left holding the top of the bat, you know? Yeah. And, and there's this real sense that they're, they're really strip mining this entire instance of 2028, um, at, for the benefit of the people in the future. And, and Flynn's a very reluctant, troubled participant in it. And, and they, uh, it gets pretty interesting. Like they basically buy out and fortify their whole town, and you know the 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 kind of goon squad incursion that happens here that's kind of quickly thwarted is more of a prolonged siege, and it's it's a quite a bit different. Um, and I was I thought that that uh, escalating pace was missing here, and that late in this season they finally explain their ideas and what makes them cool. And we finally have some scenes like the scene with Tommy and the local mobster picket. And we get to the meat of some of the characters and the meat of some of the ideas. And then they seriously run out of runway, you know, and, and, and like the last episode in particular almost felt like it just might've been one big ass to be continued slate with, uh, you know, cause it was, it was about 20 minutes of good future Kung Fu stuff. And uh, sort of the rest of it was exposition about how basically like we're going to take the fight to them in the second. It was kind of a halftime speech. It just rang a little hollow without the um, the future side resolution wasn't there. She doesn't really get her hands on the people she wants to. 
uh, that gets punted to next season, maybe. And, and that sort of hollowed it out to me. And then, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of loose ends in the present. There are so many loose ends. And I, I don't want to is... get into spoilers, but I do not like the, the device they have to end the season basically involves the, the Shatner era, you know, Jim, Jim's reservation about the transporter. Like, is it really me or not? You know? Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> I, I did not care for that. And that, that is an invention of the TV series. It's not how the, the book ended at all. Um, well, well it kind of feels to me that whole bit was, this is what's going to happen, Flynn. And, this sentence that I am saying now is the finite end of the story, but I'm going to continue talking now in case we get a season two and very not clumsy, but like a shot in the dark. Like, do, do they think there's no chance in hell they're getting it? Cause it just seems so lazy to tack that on and be like season two, please. Like they were begging. Can, you, can we finish this later? Well, it could be interesting depending on how they pick it up. Like, like, depend. I want to know the details of how that that cliffhanger device at the end will be resolved. If it'll be done in the cheapest or the smartest way, and that makes a big difference as to how good season two will be and how good no. season one will okay. feel in retrospect. Yeah, that's a good point, Trevor. You mentioned the present is all jangled. Uh, go into that, please. Well, and it's not even. <clears throat> it's more from a writing perspective. We have so many threads in here, and I'm not talking about. Guys, I'm confused. The science fiction hurt my brain. I couldn't wrap my head around time travel virtual reality. It's that we drop this thread about Flynn's friend, who is a kind of made-for-hire, and her husband, who has connections to a mobster, which is another thread. And then we don't see them again for like four episodes. And then when she comes back for a big moment that she's just there for that really isn't part of her story, we then lose her again, and her thread never really quite resolves. And it's to the point, like, when they try and pick it back up, I'm like, oh, man, I forgot she was even in this show. <laughs> and so there is there is a fundamental pacing problem here that... I just, there's so many threads dangled and I have a heart. I was almost to the point of keeping notes of where we're leaving people and who's with who. And, and it's not so much convoluted as just not very well presented. Yes. And I agree with that. The present threads that seem to flare up like a flash in a pan that only takes place because there's a third story going on where people should be able to get the medicine they need, which is important. But do we need this crammed into a show about a present time, which isn't the focus of the overall story? Maybe we do, because I actually did enjoy that I'm actually corrupt storyline. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was monologued, I thought, was incredibly silly. But the uh, the gentleman who was witness to the monologue and had to react to it and then make a choice on how he would proceed, uh, I believe the character's name was Tommy, played by Alex Hernandez, that was a good performance. So I'm not all mad about it, but it did seem really cluttered and in the way of 
the bigger story we were supposed to be focusing on. Well, and then the drug dealer character, the big kingpin character who runs the town, he's total badass. I want to see the show that that guy belongs in. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't this one. He's That's got some cool moments, it. and they say some cool shit to each other. And boy, there is a lot of like poke around the poker table shit talking. Like, I have these cards. What cards do you have? Well, I have these cards. Well, I'm going to show my hand a little. And it's just this kind of poker BS back and forth, which is really cool if you write it well. But in this, it just it happens so often. I felt tired. But, like, there's cool threads in here. There's cool moments in here. There's cool characters in here that just nothing happens with or the story isn't resolved. or And some of this feels like I was watching an episode of True Blood. Like, there, there is some small-town human bullshit in this that, like, I, I did not need. Well, let's carry that into our final thoughts. Matt, would you start, please? I disagree a tiny bit. I would be okay with the small town plots if they had room to breathe. Like we have, we have nine or ten of those little plots. On what I think there's, there's you know Flynn's, Flynn's mom's health. There's uh, you know Tommy and the um, sheriff. There's um, Pickett and his hitman. You know, and there's all this stuff, and they just ran out of runway for a lot of them, and and just didn't finish them out, and. It was, I think, kind of because the, and I liked the first few episodes. I thought they were, but they were very stately, and they didn't, they didn't tip those dominoes until about episode three or four. And so, this, the, the, the pace of this season is really kind of like a weird bell curve where it just shoots up in, like, episodes five, six, and seven, and you know, one through th- three were a lot of good but slow establishment, and then. The the finale is not a real finale. It's almost like a extended trailer. Like, uh, did you ever see the Jet Li movie Hero, where there's like a fight that plays out entirely in two guys' imagination, and then they they realize who would win, and then they don't do the actual fight. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of fugue and chess like that in Gibson, and that does not depict well the, those little bidding wars and stuff do not depict well on the screen. Uh, so, I don't envy them the task of adapting it. I thought um, the cast was really dead on, particularly Flynn, Burton, and Connor. And I liked uh, Netherton and Lev in the future. Uh, I thought they were uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Netherton seems like this useless person until you see later how he is sort of like able to kind of tack people around together. And and he is a bit of a, he reminded me a lot of uh, Lenny Nero in Strange Days but uh with a better jacket you know <laughs> and 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 lev is a character they deepened a lot because in in the book lev is very much kind of just netherton's rich friend and it is it is like he provides a lot of deuce ex machina resources and the 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 monolithic threat of his russian mob family is important at a few points but but they don't give him the agency that he has in this he's he's the little brother of the family and he's depicted as kind of a hobbyist and a dabbler and someone who spots kind of legitimate enterprises for them to invest in and stuff like that. Uh, he is not the um, the figure in this that he cuts in this where he's actually quite uh, capable of, of some sinister shit himself. And so I think they improved his character. So I'm, I'm in a real mixed point with it. Um, 
it's very stylish. Uh, every the effects look good. The future looks great. Um, when they, uh, you know, some of the, the 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 big villain in the future, some of the things uh, she does to people, are are terrifying by implication and in execution. And I, there's a lot here that is good, and I hope it finds its stride in season two. I'm going to give it a eight out of nine or eight out of 10 unextincted dogs. Yes. Trevor. This was a hard sell for me. Um, I kind of walked into this blind. Um, I just knew it was going to be a William Gibson thing. I knew it starred Chloe, Gross, Chloe Grace Moritz. And that's, that's about it. Uh, getting into this, I had a lot of, uh, fuck, did I miss something? Do I have to go back and rewatch? Do I have... And so it was a big time investment for me. And for some reason, I think that makes me a little saltier about it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here, I'm like, hey man, I haven't seen Andor yet, and I could have been watching that this week, but I'm committed to watching this for a review, so I have to keep going. At the end of the day, I'm glad I did. Uh, this this turned around for me. I had a good time. The ideas were cool. In retrospect, I do not feel like I wasted my time. However, it was a slog for me to get through the first half of this series. And a lot of the world that is built and a lot of the ideas that are here are not fully explained until the end of the season. So stick with it because you're not confused. You're not missing something. They just haven't explained it yet. But I was entertained. It's it's fun sci-fi with a cool future. Uh, the performances are really good. Um, I just, I don't know that if it is entirely in the capacity of a viewer looking for something to watch on a Saturday night, I don't know that I'm going to be queuing up for season two. I might, however, uh, pick up a copy of the book because from everything Matt has said, uh, that sounds like the more interesting story. I think I'm going to give this, uh, let's call it six out of 10 mirror shades. All right. So I agree with both of you. And I find myself in a bit of the middle. A lot of the sci-fi ideas I enjoyed. I really liked the fight scenes and the future tech and the future violence. Maybe not the most practical weapons, especially if you want to be sneaking around. I don't know if a weapon that um, is that loud and angry would be useful on a stealth mission, per se. But the spectacle of it, very fun. I certainly enjoy the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey of it all. And I think uh, Gary Carr as Wilf packs a punch with his emotional beats since he's got this swagger about him that he wants to present to everyone. But he's a tortured soul. And that does sound cliche. But when we find out why so tortured, he really brings his character together in a very satisfying way i wish there was more about him actually in this finale and glowy grace moratz always fantastic and she excels here as well from the big humongous ideas of uh, do i exist because i think i exist or because other people think i exist those type of existential crises are really heavy and 
At the same time, she's just a girl who loves her mama and wants to do right by her family. And she exceeds at both the badass and the, the tender heart, as it were. So I think she's fantastic. This, I thought, was a bit of a mess by the end of it. Because I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just too nervous to say I'll watch season two and then I'm going to read. There isn't going to be one. And then I'll be like, dang it. But good performances all around to great performances. I'm going to give this one seven out of ten doodads. Now, if nobody hears this podcast, will we have existed in the past 30 minutes? If two of us forget that this happened? My cat knows I'm real. The crunchies. There are none. Yeah, somebody opens the bags. <laughs>